1: Samela Fumo, Mark
0: Thompson. Make
2: it clean. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So, for a limited time, No fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment that moment in history, really, that is called hashtag win with black women. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about that with influential Black women, including Black women who signed on to that famous letter the weekend before our sister Kamala Harris was chosen as the running mate on this uh, current ticket, this Biden-Harris ticket. And so we are going to talk with another win with Black women. I guess you could say it that way. I don't know. (laughs) A winning black woman. Winning, so much winning. Uh, (laughs) She is, and she's one of the signers of the letter, she is the federal legislative director for weact.org, an environmental justice organization. We'll get into that too, because there's still not enough conversation about environmental justice. Someone even did a study about how the cable networks almost never cover it. Mm -hmm. So I've got to do better myself. So we're going to do a little bit of that here, too. Uh, Happy to have with us again, the Federal Legislative Director of WeAct.org, Kareen Taylor. Sister Kareen, how are you?
1: Oh, man, I'm good. As good as we can be. You know, we're still um, managing life um, during this pandemic and working from home and being in what, feels like never ending Zoom meetings, right? And so just managing all of that and still t- staying on top of things and being cognizant um, of all of the unrest that's happening in our country. So it's a really challenging time. Um, and I think it's also a critical time for us to um, demand action and to be engaged. So you know, really happy to be here today to kind of just share the work we're doing and the things that we care about Um, in the Win with Black Women Network with you today. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you. Well, first of all, speaking of COVID, are you and your family healthy? Everybody okay?
1: Yeah, my mom, you know, we got this text thing going, you know, my brother, I have a brother in college at Morgan State, and he wanted to come back. So just adjusting to that, like, you know, doing remote study for him, and my mom's working from home. So, you know, thank Thankfully, no one in my immediate family has been directly impacted health-wise, but we're all doing what we can, working from home and trying to be safe. So thank you for asking that.
2: Um, Kareen has a a very beautiful and extraordinary last name. So of course, I asked where that was from, folks. So she (laughs) is from Jamaica. I'm I'm curious. I haven't heard a lot about Jamaica and COVID. Do, Do we know? Have you been in touch or... Are they managing? Do we even know?
1: Um, from what I understand, I think it's it's definitely, um, you know, it's hitting everybody, uh, particularly with Jamaica being an island that's incredibly dependent on tourism. And so people's inability to travel and the safety um, and the health concerns with traveling, of course, is pay, paying, um, I think, a big financial crunch on the island. Um, so I think Jamaica and other the Caribbean islands that are so dependent on America and Europe um, traveling there, I think that is really where we're seeing um, some impact. But of course health-wise, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that they're containing it and they're they're following all of the mass requirements. But for sure I know the economic crunch of COVID is, is really being felt by those smaller um, islands in the diaspora that you know need us to come to kind of keep things afloat.
2: So how did you get involved with when with black women?
1: Man. I think as a, as a black woman in the policy space it just felt like something natural for me to do to be involved to, to sign on to that letter seeing just so much of the disparaging comments that were made towards all of the the black women uh, um, who were considered nominees at the time and now specifically um, Senator Harris just just wanting to be a part of a movement and stay informed and be engaged it just felt like a natural thing to do and um, you know we also have this this letter right now where we're pretty much calling out the Trump administration and saying, you know, we really have a lot to lose. He he keeps saying, Black America, what do you have to lose? But we're seeing that and we're seeing the impact of that every single day within our community, whether it's, you know, the job losses that we've experienced or the economic um, uh, slowing, the slowing down of the economics in our community. So it just felt like a natural thing for me to be a part of a lot of the women there that started that network are are already um, influential leaders. And as someone who wants to kind of aspire to be and grow in my influence, just being a part of that felt really natural.
2: Aspire? Are you suggesting you have ambition? You <laughs> I didn't you. To do an interview with an ambitious black woman. What did it <laughs>
1: According to some people, I think we might be too ambitious, Um, you know, too, too goal oriented, too educated, (laughs) you you
2: know. (laughs) On the show, being ambitious and whatnot.
1: (laughs) Right. Too (laughs) ambitious. Right. It's it's just hearing some of the comments that were thrown at uh, Senator Harris ring really true for me as as someone who is a lawyer myself and also um you know engaging in in this real community-oriented work we're constantly um being belittled for the hard work that we do and the education that we've aspired to and, you know, our, our demand for excellence. And unfortunately to some people, it can be threatening to be around women who know what they know and aren't afraid to say it and are are relentless with their drive and their passion. And I'm excited to see someone like uh, Senator Harris be uh, lifted up to such a really prominent position within the Biden campaign as, you know, the first historic, nominee for vice president and she you know she's someone that so many of us had already looked up to and now to see someone who looks so much like all of us in the work that we do and the things that we care about it's it's exciting and it's thrilling and it makes us want to do more
2: you know when Chris Dodd first complained about her being too ambitious I knew that she would be the nominee Mm. because it boxes like so if I'm Joe Biden and maybe I really did have someone else in mind, mm-hmm. and he said she's too ambitious, dude. I have to pick her now because <laughs> if I don't, it's like I'm punishing her for being too ambitious. Right. It's, yeah. it's almost like what Biden did to Obama on marriage equality. Mm-hmm. You know, he Biden. I mean, Obama wasn't really there, and then Biden came out before him and said, "I'm for marriage equality," and Obama's like, "Well, dude, now I have to." Yeah. <laughs> be for marriage equality, um, but I'm glad you all sent the letter, I mean, that that needed to be stated and, and it needed to be said. How do you feel so far, since she's been, been the nominee, how do you feel about the, the role she's been playing, her role in the campaign? You think it's making a difference? Is she visible enough? I don't think so, but I'll let you answer. <laughs>
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, when she was nominated, I was surprised, you know, I was paying attention and I was hearing the rumors, but of course they were putting other names forward. And I was like, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And when they did, um, announce her that electric energy that just came up, I'm an HBCU alum, I'm, you know, in a sorority. And so all of those communities were just like gangbusters in terms of our excitement around her. I, I do agree that, um, you know, she could be out more, but I think right now with what's going on with COVID, with what's going on um, in Kenosha, et cetera, um, having Biden there, having even the president there, I, I get why those roles are happening that way, but just to see the the record number of fundraising um, dollars that have come in. And I know a lot of that is because of the excitement um, from our communities, particularly about Senator Harris. So um, they could use her more, but I'm sure they've got a plan, you know, And and, and I think, What we want to do within our communities is motivate and educate people not only about her record and the current, um, the Biden plan, um, but specifically engage people around getting out to vote and really increasing voter turnout.
2: Um, One of the concerns I have, because it's what I've been hearing, talking to um, a lot of younger voters, I've even spoken to Gen Z African-American women who still aren't enthusiastic about getting out to vote. And and they're they're questioning, at that age, they're questioning everything. What is politics doing for me? What some of you, I was on a call the other day, and some young folks were saying, what did Obama even do for us? And I was like, you can't say that out loud. Come on now, you can't ask that question. It's blasphemous. But what would you say um, to um, uh, younger voters, particularly women, younger women voters and younger women voters of color who, you know, still feeling like voting is not that important and it won't make a difference. What would you, what would you say to them?
1: I would first say like, if voting wasn't that important, why are they trying to attack it so much? Why are they trying to misinform? And why are they, you know, making uh all the opportunities that we have, whether it's around early voting or, um, you know, mail-in, why are they trying to make all of that so incredibly difficult, right? So if if it wasn't important, they wouldn't bother with it. So that's already the first indicator that our vote matters. And we know more than anything when uh, voter turnout is high, particularly when the, the electorate is diverse, when there's more women than when there's more people of color, when there's more of us that turn out, we are then able to drive progressive policies, and so right now, for young people, if the Green New Deal is important to you, if if um, you know addressing um, school loans and the cost of education is important to you, what? Who do you need to elect that will reflect those kinds of ideals and that kind of information? I know the work that I do is primarily based around environmental work. And a lot of that that movement right now is really being propelled forward by young people. And right now, we, just looking at the administration, this administration, the Trump administration, has rolled back nearly 100 environmental rules and and regulations. And so already that's showing that their interest isn't about addressing climate change. They don't think it's real. They don't um, think um, they don't want to lessen our dependence on fossil fuels, which we know drives climate change and puts all of these horrible, noxious fumes into um, the air and impacts communities. If, If we're really thinking about how to address the issues that are most important to you as young people i would say who's really speaking up for you right now and if those people aren't in office then it's your it's your it's your right as a citizen with the the power of the ballot to vote people in and it's even you know we look at everything typically at the national level but there's stuff happening and it's happening at the city level the county level that really need votes that could be anywhere between 10 to 15 votes can really make a big decision. And I think if, if folks get out of the way of feeling um, just overwhelmed by everything and just slow down and pay attention to the issues that matter to them, it'll be clear why voting is really important.
2: Uh, when it comes to environmental justice, it, it, it also helps that didn't Kamala Harris introduce some, some legislation recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- tell us about that. And has that, Uh, transitioned over into the platform and the campaign.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, in her role as senator, um, she There just with, um, I would say last month, there were some really big bills that were introduced on the Senate side. Um, The environmental justice for all bill which which was first introduced by Congressman Grijalva and uh, Congressman McEachin, the Senate companion of that was introduced and that was led by Senator Harris. In addition to that, um, she introduced the Climate Equity Act, which um, would allow for us to start looking at any type of policy or legislation that will be introduced and looking at it through the lens of how How would this impact the environment how would this impact the health and and, of communities and that would be incredibly novel that would empower communities in a whole new way that's never existed typically when legislation is introduced or anything is introduced we're the last to know and then we're having to deal with the brunt of the impact of that and so empowering communities at the front end would be something that would really um i think be more preventive and also would save us lots of money in terms of addressing the harms whether it's the the pollution or the direct um, health impacts. She also uh, passed some really important legislation around Black maternal health and how all that kind of correlates to COVID as well. So um, seeing that type of uh, focus on Black women, on Black health, on environmental justice is something we definitely need to see more of. And um, the current Biden um, plan is actually the most progressive presidential um, presidential platform on climate and environment that we've ever seen. And so it's clear that the um, when developing that, they really bent their ear to listen more to climate justice and environmental justice advocates. And again, if, if folks are, are are motivated by those kinds of legislation, seeing that duplicated at the executive level is something that we think is really important.
2: You no, I, I skipped over something. Let me just do this. You mentioned you're an HBCU alum. Mm-hmm. So, so what HBCU?
1: I went to Fisk University and then I also went to FAMU for law school. So I, I did it twice because it was super important to me. Yep.
2: With, with with sorority.
1: I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Really proud um, of that I, as well. Uh, I, I
2: was raised on campus of Fisk University. No way. Awesome. <laughs> um, in the 70s and 80s. Okay. At, at late from 1966 to... 1985 and my mother uh, worked at Fis for 30 years. My grandfather was director of admissions in the 60s. No way. So, yeah, I was <laughs> literally.
1: You a Fis Okay, the world are got smaller. Okay. <laughs> Might
2: as well. awesome. Yeah, 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 awesome. yeah. So no, that's that's great. So no, this is this is a big moment. Is there a relationship between environmental racism and COVID? There's environmental racism oh my
1: COVID? There's a ridiculous relationship and correlation. So those of us in the movement um, and the f- people that have been doing this work for years, for generations, like Dr. Bullard, Dr. Beverly Wright, uh, Peggy Shepard, um, you know, Cecilia Martinez, Nikki Sheets, a whole host of people that I look up to have been saying for years and years that, you know, because our air is polluted, because of our proximity to um the worst facilities, et cetera, power plants, et cetera, that's gonna impact our health. We've been saying it, there there have been reports as far back as 1987 with toxic waste and race, which actually, it actually articulated that race is the biggest indicator of where the most polluted uh, facilities are, not income. So there's even examples where um, middle income, you know, families earning $50,000, um, black families are still gonna be more um, closer to, uh, polluting facilities than say a white family making fifteen thousand dollars. So whereas people could say, "Oh, it's a, it's an issue of income," no, it's it's always been race. And now what we're seeing with COVID is that the The death rate of folks who are impacted by COVID, it's higher in, in Black communities. I was reading um, just some research that was done by the AM, uh, AMP Research Lab and they found that Black Americans continue to experience the highest overall action, actual COVID-19 mortality rate and it's 2.3 times um, as high as the rate for whites. So so if if Black people had died at the rate that um, white people died, about 17,000 Black people would still be alive just mm. from COVID-19. And then even to go further, um, 3,000 Latinos would still be alive if they died at the rate that white people died. And people are like, why? Why is it happening this way? It's the pollution. Our communities typically um, through redlining, through uh, all of the segregation that existed in, in in land development, through highways that purposely cut our communities. If you're living in Nashville, there was a time where there, um, East and West Nashville were all together, but there was a highway that cut right through there. And there's so many instances of that all throughout the country where, um, you know, Uh, where if there's a facility that that needs to be put up a power plant whatever they're going to choose our communities first so after you layer all of those decades of lack of investment segregation etc that pollution then shows up in our health that's why we have high rates of asthma high rates of respiratory problems all of those things and then that makes us susceptible to what COVID-19. And that's why we're seeing that. And then when you also factor in that a number of us are frontline workers. And so we don't have a choice but to go to work, you know, where the nurses, where the folks who are are working sanitation, where the, you know, where the people working in the grocery stores, a whole host of places. So that puts us in more contact with, um, with being exposed to COVID and then bringing it home to our families.
2: When we say pollution, Kareem, does that include waste and transfer stations and garbage sites and all that too?
1: Definitely. Um a lot of waste incinerator uh, facilities are located in our communities, too. Uh, there's some organizations. Uh, there's Omega Wilson, who uh, is in North Carolina. And he's really concerned about medical waste. And you know, if we're increasing the use of PPP and cotton swabs to test for COVID, where does that typically go? A lot of the waste facilities in his community in North Carolina are in about 5, 10 miles from his home. So, And a lot of that waste is incinerated. And when you incinerate things, what does it do it goes into the air and what do we need to breathe air (laughs) so it's like it's this it's this vicious cycle where communities are then even more impacted um, probably because of COVID-19 as well from that perspective too
2: a lot of times we see in in the in the green movement um, a lot of the the faces of leadership and spokespersonship in the mainstream media are white Mm. Um, and that's still the case, thanks to people like you. You know, some of us have been able to get through and, and let people know how it really disproportionately is our issue. Oh, for um, sure. Because of the way we're impacted, are we are we finding though that more young people of color are getting involved in the environmental justice movement? Is that picking up?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um... Dr. Bob Bullard and Dr. Beverly Wright, they run the HBCU Consortium on Climate Change. And I think over like the last 10 years, they've been taking HBCU students in—in—in in, in not only introducing them to what climate change is, um, but then also taking them to the UN COP meetings where they, where they get to go internationally to talk about climate. And I think that's a really good example. Um, I know we have um, strong Um, professors who are doing work at Howard, at at, at, at FAMU, at at Spelman, um, and then a number of us, you know, that are alums that are in the space. And even taking it further, when we think about environment, there's a whole um, job creating opportunity when we think about solar, when we think about wind, and um, the diversity levels of Black people in those um, sectors they're low, but if we think about our HBCUs as like a perfect, perfect pipeline, you know, these are STEM uh, serving institutions that have high um, capacity for increasing Black um, Black engineers and Black scientists. So that's a perfect place for a lot of solar companies, I think, to partner with HBCUs to create jobs and to create wealth. If if we if we understand that the cost of, of, of fossil fuels is um, is going up, but then the cost of like solar panels is going down, that makes it more competitive um, as a really, I think, important um, alternative to being uh, so dependent on fracking and, and, and gas. And we just need to make sure that the uh, people of color opportunities exist there. And one thing we're doing, we're writing a, a green jobs report, just kind of articulating hmm. how you know we can create those kinds of pipelines. Interesting, that's very really interesting.
2: Folks, uh Kareen Taylor, letting us know about what WeAct.org is doing. We invite you to go there and learn more and do get involved. Uh, and also she's a part of the Win with Black Women Network. Lastly, your response to some of the stuff going on with our sister, you've got some, you know, online social media trolls. They are louder than they are an actual number, I believe. Mm-hmm. But... Now people wanna have this conversation about blackness and who's really black or who's the most black, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but that rears its ugly head from time to time. What's your reaction to that? And what do you say to, to those who might find themselves getting caught up in that or even going down that that rabbit hole?
1: Ignore it. Like, <laughs> it just, eh, like, you know, um, Kamala being an HBC alum, being in a sorority, these are real markers of someone that is a part of our community, just on some real, like, you know, simple level. As a, as a, a, a woman... Um, that myself, my family's Jamaican, the the pride that we have about our heritage and, and our culture and how we've contributed to American culture. So many uh, people don't even realize the number of Jamaican-Americans who've contributed to American or, 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 or the culture that we experience here, whether it's in music or politics. If it's Colin Powell, if it's Heavy D, there's so many Black um, Americans that have a J- Caribbean roots that have Jamaican roots that are that have contributed and so she makes us proud she she's an example of of um, the, the value of culture and the power of of coming and bringing your culture with you and then still being a part of the larger American experience and you know she's very clear about her experience and she shares you know even her mother's heritage too and what that means to her and I think these kinds of examples, when we even look back to President Obama, we're a melting pot. We, we, we're bringing the best of the world to America to make it progress and to live closer to its, its, um, its promise. And I think, you know, again, she's just such a great example to so many brown and black little girls across the country.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And folks, the only reason I'm not Jamaican is because my ancestors were taken off the boat a little bit later on it's so tripping about that
0: mm-hmm.
2: it just doesn't even make any sense
1: it's just a different stop yeah
2: it is a different stop mm-hmm. green taylor folks the win with black women network we act.org we must make environmental justice more of a priority none of us do that as much as we should uh environmental justice combating environmental racism folks so please man please sir please think about that and 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 consider that as we go forward in our revolutionary work kareen pleasure to meet you and pleasure to have you on make it plain
1: thank you so much for having me
2: god you are our refuge send our ancestors to guard our doors cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.